are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today, we have with us in the studio, Thomas Herreras. He's a recovery support specialist and is involved with Pima Peer Coalition. We'll be right back with Thomas, but first, I'd like to talk about home. I've been thinking a lot this week about home and the role that home plays in all of our lives. And in particular, I've this, I think that, you know, my own home is the result actually of my dad passing, which leads back to my big bout of depression the last four years. And I had a dream the other night that I was at his house on the lake, which is the house that I was responsible for selling after he died. And I've had a number of dreams where I'm walking through the beach grass along Lake Michigan or along the paths up on the bluffs kind of looking for his house, trying to get there and feeling a little lost, and then getting there and finding it locked and he's not at home. And in the dream, I'm not aware that he's passed away. I just know that I get home. And at this point, that's the only home I had left was the home that my dad built, you know, the home that was built on the lake that we're supposed to live in and never did because of his alcoholism and our family falling apart. And... When I get there and he's not there, I I let myself in anyway, but feel weird because he's not home and I'm letting myself into his house, which would be all right, but it feels a little strange. Well, the dream I had this week, the house itself was gone. There was just a garage and a little house built off of it. And I was looking out over where the house would be. And there was just an empty space and, you know, mashed down in the grass where the house had been. And it was weird and distressing to see the house just gone and of course really sad at the same time I felt sort of relieved it's strange that having the house gone when I woke up I still remembered the dream and thought right that house isn't a part of my life anymore maybe I need to let go of it it was a feeling of at this point why don't you let go let go. It felt like letting go a little bit more of my dad and the, the search for home. Maybe I don't need to lo- walk and wander along the grass looking for a house that's locked and nobody's there. Maybe I need to just let go of that. And I think that after someone dies, and this week, <laughs> like three or four people told me that someone really close to them died. Their mother died. Two, two years ago and they're still struggling through it or their husband died last year. And the woman who told me her husband died last year, I said, there's, there's no solace for that. And she said, there isn't. There's no solace. There's no words that somebody can say. It's just every day I wake up and he's not there. And that's the way I've felt about my dad and, and the connection between home and loss 
has been all kind of tied up together. The house being my dad, like trying to get there, <laughs> trying to go see him. I'm going to go see him. I'm walking along the grass and he's not there. And this time, literally, the house wasn't there. And I think I can stop trying to search my way back, trying to find my way to that house that won't, won't, he won't be there. Of course, that's sad, but it also feels relieving and like maybe I can move forward a little bit. I feel my depression this week has lifted a little bit. And I actually feel inspired to go back to the original idea behind the show. I thought I would be trying out remedies for my depression and then sharing with you the results. And I didn't feel up for it. I haven't felt up for it at all. And I think that this week I had an idea. <laughs> I, I worked tons of hours last week. I talked about stress and I'm working a lot of hours and still feeling like the new guy at work and <laughs> trying to find a way to be a little more efficient so I don't work quite so much. Teaching is like that. It's like, okay, if I can get this down pat, then next semester will be easier. And that every day I'm, I have, I'm done technically with my job at work around three, but I keep working until five, six, seven, eight at night because I have stuff I have to do. So I've committed to this week when three o'clock rolls around to take a walk and take a long walk. One of the happiest times that I can remember is walking home to Michigan and just being out in the sunshine for hours, eight, eight, nine, ten hours a day walking. It was grueling and my feet ached and I was exhausted at the end of the day and often worried about where I was going to sleep. And as I was walking, I was thinking also of this idea of home. And I realized the home was just this little backpack on my back. That was home. And home was the home I was walking to back to Michigan, which was my mom's house, which wasn't the house I grew up in. It was the house she lived in now. And home was my dad living in Florida. And home was the lake house in Michigan. And home was my home in Tucson that I left from. That there were all these different homes and I was homeless as I walked across the country. There were a lot of towns I walked into, and they have a program for wanderers in many towns where they'll put you up for the night, and they'll give you something to eat. And so they'd take me to the police station. I'd say, I'm walking across the country, and they'd take me to the police station to make sure I wasn't a criminal, and they'd put me up in a hotel, and they'd give me something to eat, give me vouchers to eat at hotels or restaurants. And it was kind of cool that they had that. I didn't know they had that. And, and I guess a lot of people walk across Kansas or end up kind of migrating from one place to another. And so I thought, I'm not homeless. I feel really homeful. So on that note, I think I'm going to take a long walk every day and try to feel homeful, feel grateful, be out in the sun, just walk maybe two hours every day. And I, the work will still be there when I go back to work. I can still work till 8 or 9 or 10 at night if I need to. But get out and go for a walk. And I'll share with you next week how that works out. So today we have with us in the studio uh, Thomas Herreras. He's a recovery support specialist and is involved with Pima Peer Coalition. Hi, Thomas. Welcome to the Depression Session. Hello. I want to thank you so much for coming into the studio today and being willing to share your story. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. So do you have anything you want to share about what's going on with your life right now? What's new with you? Well, um, you know, I'm coming up on a, a year at w working at the crisis center. 
uh, Crisis Response Center. It's uh, going really well. I work with a lot of people that are, are going through depression, um, you know, helping them understand that they're not alone. Uh, I'm also coming up on uh, two years sober. Yay! Which is, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. We were talking earlier, you, you kind of were saying, like, you never thought you'd get here. <laughs> yeah, th- th- there was a time that I... I I couldn't imagine uh, a, a day sober, you yeah. know, let alone uh, two years. Yeah. So it's a, it's a miracle. What keeps you going these days? I think it's, I think it's the, the service, having a sense of purpose. Um, it was not something that I always had in my life, and today I have a sense of purpose, and that's made all the difference. Yeah. You know, the work that I do, the people that I work with, they give me a they give me a reason to wake up every morning. Yeah, I I find for me that's a lot of solace. Teaching is is it's not quite a service. Service doesn't feel like the right word for that, but it is working with people as they try to figure out what, how to make a life. A lot of people come to college because they they're trying to figure out what to do with their life. And there's sometimes they're 18 right out of school, and sometimes they're right out of prison. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, "I'm going to do it different this time." <laughs> well, you know, I've I've always held the philosophy that the greatest thing a, a man or a person can aspire to be is a servant. Yeah, being an educator, it's it's definitely service. Working in the behavioral health field, it, it's service. You know volunteering, uh, raising your children. Yeah. You know, you're being of service to your children. So uh, being a servant is the greatest thing a person can be, in my my humble opinion. Yeah, and it, it fills your heart up with some some kind of extra reserve that gets you through the hard times, too. At least for me, that's how it works. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, Thomas, thank you so much for coming to the depression session and tell us the story of your depression. Okay. Well, where to start? As you know, as I began to educate myself about depression and what it was that I was up against in regards to depression, I could look back over my life and and clearly see the patterns of how depression has affected me since uh, even early childhood. Depression often will manifest in anxiety, and for me that was certainly true. And I had, uh, I was very anxious uh, about everything, um, particularly being around people. Always mistaken for being shy, and while that was certainly true, I was I was somewhat shy. There was a real anxiety uh, when it came to being around other people. You know, I was one of those kids that didn't have the motivation to go out and and make friends and and meet new people. I wanted to want friends. It, it about eleven years old. I uh, had my first drink of alcohol, and uh, the anxiety just kind of went away. And, and, and that was, you know, I found real early on a way to cope with with my depression and anxiety, um, albeit an unhealthy coping skill. It was certainly an effective one. I didn't really have much trouble in the way of functioning with depression and until I was about 18 years old. When I was 18, I had my uh, my little brother, uh, David Michael. Uh, we called him Dobie. My nana called us uh, Dobermans because anything she put in front of us, we just devoured, you know. And so David Michael, he was a little Doberman, Dobie. 
And uh, we were at a pool party. You know, I, I sat him down to eat lunch. And, and later, victim witness, you know, they interviewed all the people that were around and, and put together a timeline. And what we figured out was it was five minutes from the time that I sat him down to eat lunch and uh, got distracted, uh, was, was playing with uh, one of my other brothers, uh, to the time that we were on the side of the pool uh, doing CPR. He had fallen into a jacuzzi, uh, a combination of a head injury and the temperature of the water, and uh, we lost him that day. And, uh, you know, I was responsible for him and very much felt to blame, you know, and, and it just devastated my family. My My mother was never the same person after that. To be sure, I, I was never the same person after that. But I simply couldn't cope. I just, it was all surreal. And, and after the fact, I went into such a deep depression. All I could do was, was cry. And uh, I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. Um, I couldn't get out of bed. Wouldn't shower. Wouldn't brush my teeth. Wouldn't. Uh, just couldn't do any of the things that, that uh, quote, normal people do on a daily basis. You know, uh, my drinking intensified. It, it got very heavy because, again, it was the only way I knew to cope with with my depression. And uh, that, that was about the age, you know, that's when I began presenting at different uh, mental health facilities around town, Keno, uh, St. Mary's, just all, all these different hospitals, and, you know, I, I would take medication for a while, and, and, and that would help, you know, I'd get to feeling better, I'd quit taking the medication. Uh, it, it was one of those things that, that it wasn't until I got to where I was hurting enough and, and unmotivated enough that, that I, would, I would seek out help. Being raised in the family that I, w I was raised in, you know, I, I was often told that I was lazy, you know, when I couldn't get out of bed, uh, which just wasn't the case. So about 10 years, I was just lost. And, and I finally started kind of coming out of that. And, and you know, I, I was raising a family. I was, I was raising uh, kids. I was functioning. And, and sooner or later depression reared its head again, uh, fueled by uh, unchecked alcoholism, um, which again was, was how I coped. I coped with the depressant, right? It makes perfect sense. To the point where ultimately I could not function. A little over two years ago, eating out of a dumpster, homeless in the streets, uh, just no hope. I, I, I couldn't be around people. I, I couldn't I simply could not function. It was all I could do to panhandle to to get my next drink, you know. I'd spent 20 years trying to get a handle on my alcoholism. 20 years ago, I went to my first meeting of AA and, and uh, you know, in and out of AA and, and, and different rehabs and and couldn't get a handle on it. Uh, but I never understood that that causal link and that, that connection uh, between my depression and my alcoholism and how those two things fed into each other, each making the other worse. You know, I, I, I was depressed, so I drank. 
Uh, and of course, I'm, I'm drinking a depressant, and ultimately that would add to my depression. And so I'd be more depressed and I'd drink more. And it's just on this vicious loop, you know. And, and it wasn't really until I began to aggressively treat my depression that I was ever able to successfully treat my alcoholism. You know, uh, mind, body, and soul, I had, I had to go after the, the whole thing. I, I learned in real short order that, you know, for some of us, medication's appropriate. I am one of those for whom medication's appropriate. You know, I'm coming up on 40 years old and I've lived with depression all this time, uh, chronic clinical depression, major depressive disorder, and odds are fairly good it's not going anywhere. It's probably something that I will deal with for the remainder of my life and I'll probably be taking medication for it for the remainder of my life because I am one of those for whom medication is appropriate. Finding the right medication was difficult. It took some time. I felt much like a guinea pig different medications because medications react differently with different people and different chemistries. Try this medication, try the doses, you know. Uh, it, it was very important for me that I had an open dialogue with my prescriber and, and paid real close attention to what I was feeling, what I was experiencing both, both emotionally and physically. But when we finally found that right medication, the one that, that worked with my personal chemistry, with minimal side effects, uh, it was a game changer. It was a game changer for me. And, and, and that's not to say that medication is the end-all be-all for me, because it's, it's certainly not. You mentioned in your story walking, you know, getting out into the sun. For me, that, that's really important. I used to walk all over town, and, and it was kind of where I found my solace. I kind of had my, my own alone time. And, of course, I'm in the sun getting vitamin D, which is good. Um, but it was almost zen-like for me. There are a, a great host of ways that I, I cope with my depression today. Things like this, like just talking about um, depression, because there's always been such this stigma. You know, like I said, a lot of people in my family would would tell me I was just lazy or, you know, just snap out of it, you know. Or, you know, things like you got so much to be happy for. You got, you got so much to, to live for. None of those things made sense. I would see people around me that would get up in the morning and they'd go to work and, and do their thing and, and wish that I could be one of those people. You know, one of those people that, that was happy to get up in the morning and happy to, to go to a job and, and live a, a happy life. And, and I, I just wasn't, and it was, it was chemical, you know. Today I, I work as a recovery support specialist. I've worked with hundreds of people that live with depression. And I think if I was to leave the listeners with anything, would be that if you are uh, experiencing depression, if you're going through depression, though it may feel like you're alone, you are certainly not alone. There are hundreds and thousands of us, and, and, and we're in this together. Thank you. Thank you, Thomas. Thanks for sharing your story. It's, it's a really moving story, and when I was thinking about what I was going to talk about this week, I had that dream, and I knew I was going to talk about home, and then I thought of you being homeless, like truly homeless, and that that was the, that was the place you had to go to to get help. And I thought how 
that connection between needing we we need somewhere that feels like home and if your home is everyone telling you you're you're lazy get out of bed snap out of it like that becomes that becomes like less than helpful yes uh, in, in fact just the opposite you know it adds to that guilt that sense you know so now not only am i depressed i'm guilty about it yeah <laughs> you know feeling guilty about it and and of course that just makes it worse and and judgment feeling judged for something that god only knows you wish you could change yeah well you know and the the thing is is so many of us i know for myself i'm so hard on myself nobody can beat me up like i can you know and and so i'm already beating myself up and i'm already uh judging myself if you will you know and, and so anybody externally that starts doing that and reinforcing what I'm already feeling and what I'm already thinking about myself certainly just makes it a whole lot worse. Yeah. Another thing that's on my mind this week is compassion. They had a peace fair yesterday at Reed Park, and um, they invited me to talk about compassion because that was the theme for it. And I looked it up. I thought, I'm not sure I know the difference between sympathy, empathy, and compassion. Mm -hmm. And sympathy is going, oh, you know, sorry about that. And you do feel sorry for them, mm-hmm. but you feel sorry for them. Yeah. Empathy is you feel sorry with them. I know just how you feel. I feel it too. Mm-hmm. Compassion comes from Latin for co-suffering, but it's also a call to action, that you really understand somebody's suffering and you feel called to action to help. And I feel like you're there. you're in compassion now in your life. Absolutely. That you understand completely the people you work with now are are you. <laughs> right. And you've found compassion because you could find compassion for yourself, you could find it for them. Yeah. You know, uh, Brene Brown talks about the difference between sympathy and, and empathy, and, and she talks about a hole, you know, yeah. and, and someone being stuck in this, this dark hole, and, and sympathy is... Uh, I see you're in that hole. That 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 sucks. I'm I'm so sorry for <laughs> you. And and empathy is, is you know jumping down in that hole with them. You know and hey, I'm here with you. You're not alone. I'm I'm with you. Then you take your definition of, of compassion. That would be going that that extra mile and showing them how to get out of that hole. Yeah. You know I, I I've been here before. I know the way out. Follow me. Yeah. And sometimes we're only up for someone coming in the hole with us. <laughs> you know, sometimes right. that's all. And I think that's that's the cycle you were talking about of depression, of like you get stuck into it, and then the things that you use to help get you more stuck into mm-hmm. it. And just having somebody who totally understands that, sometimes that's all that you can do. And they can they can say, if you want to find this I've been out. I know how to get out. If mm-hmm. you want to go there with me, I'll show you. Yeah. And my my struggle often is I like to fix things. <laughs> right, yes. And for years I didn't understand when somebody was really suffering. I didn't understand it. I hadn't I had had some depression, but it, nothing really that bad and I could just go, "Oh, well, snap out of it." Hey, yeah, you know, you should get some help. <laughs> you know there's yeah. medications for that or have you seen a doctor instead of being it like just sort of sympathy without any empathy and definitely not compassion. It was sort of like, why don't you put a Band-Aid on that? And it's like, is not something that a Band-Aid will help. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, and, and that's the power in peer support. And that's why the behavioral health community has really taken notice um, why the RSS position is such a, 
a prevalent thing because the power in, in being able to, to at a gut level sit with somebody and say, Hey, you know, I've, I've, I've been there. You know, earlier we were talking about self regard. When I was stuck in the, in the deepest depths of my depression, I didn't have enough regard for myself to seek help, to go out and get help. And, and the most important thing for me were the people in my life that would just sit with me. Yeah. Just listen. You know, the, the most important thing I, I do with my work today and, and in my life today is is listen. Yeah. And th- there's a, a huge power to that. And that has been something that's been very healing for me with this show is it is a show about telling stories and it's a show about listening. And there's something... And everybody who comes on the show, they're they're in a place to tell their story. I mean, that is a, a very unique space. And it's it's a two-way street, though, with listening. If you can really listen with your whole heart, it's put you in that place of empathy and hopefully in the place of compassion. And it heals something in you as well. You know, really hearing someone's story with an open heart and not judging it, which means not judging yourself. Yeah. Real quick, uh, a buddy of mine that that I work with, um, Joel, every morning he writes little inspirational quotes on this blackboard we have in our group room. You know, we facilitate three, four groups a day at the the CRC. And uh, one of my favorites that he wrote is, the problem with communication is too often we listen with the intent to reply and not with the intent to understand. Yes, yes. You know, that's a, that's <laughs> in a nutshell everybody's talking and then they're waiting their turn to talk again ex- exactly you know so i'm i'm hearing what you're saying just so that uh, i can have my response to that rather than try to understand where it is that that you're coming from you know and, and that's that's the the difference between being compassionate and and being sympathetic i think yeah I feel like there's a scale from pity to sympathy to empathy to compassion. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes we all fall into pity or sympathy. Empathy is the goal. Right. <laughs> and then maybe some compassion, like that move forward and, and give something back to somebody who, you know, at least say, hey, there there is a way out of this. Yeah, uh, absolutely. You know, I'm... Today, I'm so grateful for the behavioral health community. And, and, you know, they've done so much for me, more than I ever could have asked. And, and I've come to learn that, that gratitude is, is a verb. Wow. You know, it, it, it's in my, my actions. It's in what I do. It's, it, that's how I show my, my gratitude. You know, I have a debt that, that can never be repaid. I was given my life back, and, and I'm grateful for that. And so every day I make it a point to... Uh, do what I can to make a difference, however minor that may be. That is an absolutely perfect note to end this show on, and I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's been an honor. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. 
To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septa Helix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.